1: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again to talk more about Leaving Hillsong. This week is a longer episode and that's because we needed to take the time. We're going to cover a lot of stuff in this. uh, We're going to cover a lot of sensitive material in this conversation, but it is really important because Noemi shares with us exactly what happens when after joining the new church in Boston, she begins to question a lot of things and starts asking questions and she gets some uh, some pretty vague and then um, some pretty clear responses. Please take care listening to these episodes. This one's a long one and it's intense. We talk about things about gender and sexuality and mental illness. And it can, you know, it can be surprisingly distressing. So, please go slow if you need to. Take care of yourself first. Having said that, I'm really thrilled that we get to discuss these things thoroughly as we have in this conversation. And so, let's jump into Welcome Home, Part Two.
2: Yeah, this was in October of 2017. Yeah, so Josh Kimes, who was going to be the campus pastor he gave his little spiel of like, who is a leader? Like, how do you like help people like all the his little spiel. And I remember him saying as well, which was very intriguing to me, the idea that like he doesn't have the time to be pastoring everyone. So you should be pastoring yourself as well. And I had grown up. Yeah, yeah. It was weird, because I had grown up in a place where my dad was had been a pastor and he was like a church planter and he was the one leading people and he pastored everyone regardless of who they were yeah and and when you talk about a pastor someone who's leading people who's like yeah like you're saying nurturing them helping them out in their spiritual questions and like like a leader and a guide and josh saying that was like kind of washing his hands and stepping back and saying I'm I'm not here for you, kind of thing. Just, so.
1: just an odd concept. Sheep shepherding themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I mean, I guess he's really upfront. It's an event, like so. There is no pastoring. so that's probably why he was saying it early because there isn't much pastoring. Yeah, now is there? No,
2: no. When I heard that, it was clear that like it wasn't going to happen. I don't know why I didn't see as a red flag at the time. I was just desperate for community like I can overlook this. If that means I get to be pastored, that means I get to choose what I quote unquote eat every morning. So like what message I get and like guide myself. And if I need more support can go to my leaders and my pastor. I
1: saw the concept kind of weird, but I was like, okay. When you see diversity, you think safety, don't you? Cause you think there's going to be so many different kinds of people that nothing too terrible could happen. Cause all these different kind of people. Somebody's gonna, you know, do something. Yeah.
2: Like- when I see diversity, it's a safe space for me because I know that if they deem it safe, if they're there, it's because they deem it safe as well. So then I can also walk in and like be a part of that. So yeah, I joined the host team. I was the only person of color. The rest of were white women,
1: nice. and
2: I, at the beginning it was really concerning for me because they were telling us that the host team was like the face. Like the first person they see when they walk through the doors, like the face of Hillsong. And I was like looking around and I was like, oh, okay, I guess the face of Hillsong is a lot of white women and this Mexican here.
1: Okay. So what else was involved in the host team? So you're greeting at the door.
2: I was greeting at the door. I would help pass like the, the bucket where people would put in their money uh, for offerings. I would pass out like the communion plate. Yeah, I was, I was helping out with that. I didn't stay very long on the host team because I got tired of being the only person of color for a long time and I had to be very extroverted and I'm not an extroverted person. Like I get some of my energy as well, being alone and and being in silence and like with less people. But Hillsong is a very extroverted church and this like very charismatic and very like welcoming and like, hi, how are you kind of thing. And that's not me all the time. And I didn't want to be a hypocrite and do that every, every Wednesday night, people started confusing me with someone named Natalie. They would come up to me and tell me, Hey, Natalie, like, do you know where this is at? And I would just be like, yeah, I'm in graduate school, but I don't know who you are. And like, why are you like talking to me? And I was like, my name isn't Natalie. My name is Noemi, but nice to meet you. So I started looking around and asking who Natalie was. And I've ended up finding her uh, in the events team. And so we kind of realized they were confusing us with each other. She is Colombian and I'm Mexican. So, and we were kind of the same height (laughs) and it was mainly the white people in the church who were confusing us. So we both kind of like laughed it off, kind of really annoyed at it, but I was like, okay. So Natalie and I ended up becoming friends because we are like, okay, people see us together they'll know that we're not the other. Yeah, so we started hanging out. She ended up recruiting me to the events team uh, because I started telling her like, yeah, I like hosting, but it's very tiring. The first day I got there, I started looking for my leader. Uh, Her name uh, was Erica. And I started looking around and I see this black woman coming up the stairs um, and I had been told it was her. So I was like, hey, are you Erica? And she's like, yes. And so in my mind, I was like, wow, like I'm going to be led by a black woman. Like, yes, I want to be a part of your team. So I got really excited and I was like, okay, like I'm no Emmy. How can I help? And I started helping out doing internal notes. So everything that was done on Sunday, someone is taking notes of everything from the time that the service starts when they open the doors to the main sanctuary. So the external doors, the main doors, when they start the service, who grabs the mic when? Like everything down to the second is you're taking notes of everything. If one of the mics doesn't work, you take note uh, what songs were sung, who was going to preach and what they, what did they preach about. And then they would also have like salvation count. So there would be people counting who raised their hand when they asked people if they wanted to like receive Christ in their hearts that day or whatever. I would receive those numbers via text from someone on the host team. Everything was written down and those were all saved. And often some of them were sent to New York, but they were all archived so that we could have a note of like everything that happened that Wednesday or Sunday.
1: Isn't just minute keeping. I mean, was there personal stuff involved or just an account? Nope.
2: Okay. Just an account of, of everything. So technically it is meeting minutes, but we called it notes here. So, yeah.
1: And how many people are in Boston at the church at this time? There was okay. about 200 on
2: Wednesday night. And then in February of 2018, we transitioned to doing Sunday night. It doubled very fast because when you hear the word Hillsong, People are going to follow it because they've heard of the music. So the first Sunday it was like 500 people, and it just kept growing from there to like 900 on a Sunday. By mid-year, they started a second service at Royale, which they started doing services at a nightclub. Okay. The East Coast liked to do services within a nightclub. This was like a Carl Lentz thing that he liked to do. Um, He had started in New York that way, and so when they came to Boston. One of the venue that they really liked was this nightclub. Do you think that's because that's
1: cool or because? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dark corners in nightclubs, you know. They're kind of
2: they were pretty dirty, and people would come in at five a.m. to clean them up. And I was, since I was on the events team, I would help out with not with the cleaning part, but with like ensuring that everything smelled good at some time.
1: Okay, so Um, it's a working, practicing, like shut down nightclub, and what everyone goes home, and then we have church. Yeah,
2: there would be moments where we would, they would walk in and we would find drunk people sleeping there and we would help them out.
1: Did they not get saved straight away on the spot?
2: (laughs) So I've heard, I've heard instances in New York where that did happen, where people would stay and they would like convert this drunk person. And I'm like, I don't know if there's consent in that,
1: but okay. okay. Consent. Consent. (laughs) Welcome home. So was Carl like the big boss of the East Coast? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so Carl became the pastor. So at the same time, when Boston was starting, a few months later, Connecticut started. Uh, New Jersey was already there and New York obviously had been there for a while. So then Carl became the pastor for all of those four churches. Okay. So New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Boston.
1: So they've got a lot more Mm -hmm. outlets than you kind of see on the website and stuff as well.
2: Yes,
1: Mm -hmm. it became East Coast
2: because they were all registered under that um, tax exemption code and so then they became under the branch of east coast yeah so carl then became the ceo of that tax exemption to lou she was a cfo and a few other people from the main branch so so josh kimes was the campus pastor and carl lenz was the east coast pastor so like carl was josh's boss
1: and brian was carl's boss um but carl is getting more and more successful with every year right like it um yeah uh, it was Joel Houston, Brian's son, and Carl Lentz, right? And they were just yeah. a couple of nice guys trying to make a difference in the world or something. And it was like, oh, I wonder <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen there. And Joel featured less and less, right? And he was off yeah. with the band, Hillsong United, and then... Mm-hmm. The cult of Carl then grew, right? Yeah. So Carl became his
2: charismatic self as someone who had also grown up in the church. Like he knew the lingo and he knew how to navigate it. I saw it quickly when I became a part of it. I was like, I know what game you're playing. But, and he wasn't, he's from Virginia, I believe. So he's not even from New York, but he took on this character or this like identity of like a New Yorker. Didn't really fit him, but he tried so hard to fit in, and you could tell that moment. So I was like, "You're trying a little too hard, but okay." Um, um and, and that's and that's fascinating because who expected that to really work? Like, yeah, um, the thing with those type or with Hillsong Church, and I noticed it a lot in Boston. The people who walk through the doors aren't local people. They're like the expats, the people who come to the city to live here for okay. a certain amount of time. So Boston was the majority of the people attending were students. Boston is known for all of the schools it has. There's like, within just Boston, I believe there's about 50 schools just in Boston and that doesn't count Harvard and MIT. So it's like all these very intellectual people, very introverted people because the city is very intellectual. So everyone's thinking and it's a very, like when you're walking down the street, you don't just interact with people just like that because everyone is kind of like minding their own business. Students who are going to school, studying all these really cool things, and they're not going to be receptive to uh, the type of like New York vibe where it was like very hip and like everyone jumping at the front and doing this mosh pit. That that wasn't going to happen in Boston. They had the, the worship there was very calm and more like liturgical, but with Hillsong music. So the comparison in music that was sung in each congregation was very, very different. Boston was very different from the rest. And I remember telling Josh when we first started, because he was like, we're going to plant this church and it's going to be like New York. And we're so excited. And I was like, how are you going to reach the local people if this is a city that's known for being introverted, but yet Hillsong is an extroverted church. And he kind of just stayed quiet. And he was like, well, this is God's church. And like, whoever's going to come, that's like the people who are going to be here. And like, we're called to build and then he gave his the mission statement of Hillsong so it was like Aww. okay like you don't really you don't really care for mm. the people of Boston. you have this hip church where you can walk in and wear whatever you want and a lot of people are wearing very like modern clothing of the time and Hillsong has its own fashion too, but that's what people are wearing and young people want to be a part of that and they want to be where everyone else is at and like where the worship is like not the usual monotone thing. Boston is also a very Catholic city, like it's Irish Catholic, and there's a lot of Catholic churches here. So to have a church like Hillsong and for people to go from like Catholicism to Protestantism, again, there's the easy transition there oftentimes to the charismatic. And mm-hmm. a lot of young people were tired of the Catholic church because of the reputation that and the history that it has in Boston
1: of course spotlight yeah
2: so if you think of spotlight yeah and like the Boston Globe and that investigation a lot of people were turned off by the Catholic church
1: in Oxford in the UK they've got a hill song in Oxford and I'm like these not the smartest people in the world how do they have any success there yeah
2: it's not that people aren't smart it's that people lack the knowledge in theology you can be smart in a different in engineering, but not have an understanding for theology. Like that's a very different line of thinking and like intellect. So yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of college students who were attending. I was part of the events team. And when we went, moved to Sundays, I became the service lead. So I was a person who would like ensure that all the events volunteers were like taken care of, that everyone was doing well. I made sure that everyone in the venue was counted from josh on stage to the baby who was being held by their mom in their arms Um, so everyone in the room was counted i also helped out with ensuring that they liked covering atms in the venue so we had to put black sheets over them yeah so there was there was atms in the building because it's a nightclub so they liked us to cover them with black sheets i was like okay Like they're somewhat like conscientious of like not wanting to take people's money. But yet there's also a merchandise table where like you can walk in and buy Bibles and like buy Brian and Bobby's books and Carl's book
1: and like T-shirts and all this other things. I wonder what that does for people who've had um, issues connected with nightclubs, alcohol abuse, Mm -hmm. substance abuse. Yeah, because the venue did
2: smell like it smelled like alcohol. Like you could smell it. And so I would have to go with like some uh, scented like Febreze for scent to remove s- like a smell. And so we would spray that to like cover up the smell of alcohol everywhere. Wow, like- that is
1: like the most fantastic <laughs> metaphor for Hillsong. It's just a massive <laughs> for real? Um- Yeah, where you... You don't fully clean things. You no. just spray something to cover yeah. up the smell. And it lasts yeah. five seconds. And then like, yep. you know, the it cigarettes come through again. I wonder how deliberate that is that they choose nightclubs because they know young people will feel it. home. Mm-hmm. there.
2: That was actually a part of why I felt comfortable inviting people because it was like, it's not this traditional church building that it's a nightclub and they can come here and it's something they're more familiar with. So yeah, they totally play into that. I can definitely see that.
1: How, I mean, how is it conflicting with study time or is it how much yeah, time is it taking, I guess? It's, it's conflicting a lot because graduate school
2: was my main priority. Like I'm spending a lot of money to get my master's degree in public health and I'm at being asked to give all of my Sunday to church. And I started leading a connect group, a Spanish speaking connect group during the week. I was working. I was part of a campus organization for my uh, the university. So I was doing a lot of things at once. And Hillsong was demanding more and more of my time every every Sunday and every week. They were demanding a lot of my time. After I came out to my leader as being queer, they started removing a lot of that. Tell yeah. us about some of that. Sure. So Uh, in 2018, um, I started questioning my sexuality again. I kind of always known that I was different, that I wasn't straight or heterosexual. From the age of like six years old, like I knew something was different. Um, I had a crush on my preschool teacher. (laughs) Um, So I knew I knew something was different. I never really liked the boys. I always chose some because they would ask me, who do you have a crush on? So I would like choose a random kid so I could have an excuse. But I knew early on from that up in that they would preach that homosexuality was a sin. But I was back in Boston, and my faith was very different from what I had grown up in. So I started questioning my sexuality again, and really started thinking through how that intertwined with my faith. So because Josh Kimes had told us that we should pastor ourselves, I started pastoring myself and finding queer theology. Yeah. So on Sunday mornings before getting to church, as I was getting ready, I would always listen to a sermon, someone preaching a conference, like whatever, because I had been Googling, like, can you be Christian and gay? And a lot of things would come up from like, yes and no. And like, it's a sin and like, no, you're welcome. I'm like, so I found like all of these other books and, and preachings. And so I started listening to queer theology and like Kathy Baldock and Kevin Garcia and uh, Glendale and Doyle and all these other like queer people who are just sharing their experience or, or allies who are like sharing like the Bible and debunking or unclobbering the Bible and the six passages that exist.
1: It, how did that make you feel? And tell me about the six passages, what that yeah. means.
2: Yeah, yeah. So there are six passages in the Bible um, that mention the word um, homosexual and or that have the word homosexual. And they've always been called or more recently have been called clobber passages because they're the ones that exclude people or exclude LGBTQ people. And so there's been a group of people who have been researching to unclobber the Bible or unclobber these passages. So. As I was researching and like learning more, I realized uh, or I learned that the word homosexual wasn't added to the Bible until 1946, when the revised standard version was being developed by the translation team. They translated Greek words, the word arsenokoitai and malakoi into homosexual instead of pederastry or Uh uh, someone who abuses like boys. And if you see the story from Sodom, they weren't using sex as a way of, like, uh, consent or for enjoyment. It was to diminish or dehumanize someone, which is why, yeah, when the two angels are there and Lot tells them, like, people are banging at the door and saying, like, let us, like, rape them, have sex with them. It was to dehumanize and take their manlyhood yeah,
1: that's how it so, was I mean, weird. I just think when someone asks me that I say, look, just take my virgin daughters, like, please don't defile. Them. Yeah, They're staying here. Just what a great story, that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Is. So yeah. And so, so then awesome. Lot offers
2: his daughters instead. So they didn't really care about who it was. If you look later on in the Bible, you find that Sodom and Gomorrah or wasn't destroyed because of gang raping and homosexuality the way that people have always used that scripture for. It was destroyed because of inhospitality. Yeah. When I started realizing all of those scriptures and like realizing that everything I had been taught that homosexuality or being queer was a sin was not the reality.
1: And I think that takes a lot of courage to allow the concept that the way you've been raised And to read that differently and absorb it is, uh, it's massive.
2: Oh yeah, it took a long time. It wasn't like a, a overnight thing. It was something that like I read through and I prayed about it. And I really like tried to live it out, ask people questions. I read so many books about it. And from different perspectives, it wasn't just one. I noticed that in a lot of the conversations, we often only focused on the sex part of it. And we never focus on the humanity of people. It was always who you're having sex with and not how you're living your daily life. And that really frustrated me because I was like, if I'm queer at the time I identified as bi, but if I I would tell myself if I'm queer, if I'm different, it's not just about me having sex with someone because that's not my first priority it's about how do I live my daily life knowing that this scripture or the pastor at the pulpit is telling me that I, who I am from like a childhood is a sin, like me, myself, and I, like my flesh and I. So like, it started getting to the point where I would think about ridding this world of myself. And it was like, if God created me to be this bad person then i want to honor him and not exist anymore like it, it got oh. to that point where you start oh. thinking in that way that's when so rational, yeah i get that's terrible yeah bad bad theology kills and a lot of people have killed themselves because of that idea and that, yeah. yeah so i was studying queer theology and i was coming to the realization that 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 theology was bad That the fruits of of that theology were killing people, but the fruits of other theologies like queer theology, where you were viewing scripture as something that had been misinterpreted and actually interpreting it in the correct way and embracing that was life giving and like freedom giving um, to people because they were finally free to be who they are and who God created them to be and viewing your sexuality as a gift from God, regardless of it being hetero or homo or whatever it was. Yeah, like so it was something very beautiful. Way. I had been taught in university to question everything and to not just take everything at face value to study it and to study the original text. It it was something that took a, a year long thing before I started coming out to like family and to my leaders at Hillsong. So you
1: came out to family
2: first? I came out to my leaders at Hillsong first before I came out because I felt like they might be more accepting since they were younger. And I knew my family was going to be, take a hard hit with it because they were more conservative.
1: So you set up a meeting or does it happen? How does it kind of happen?
2: So I wanted to like the way my father raised me of letting my leaders know, and I wanted to understand Hillsong's stance on it to know like what I couldn't or couldn't do I didn't want to just be someone just walking like not saying anything like I wanted to like have an understanding of where the church church stood on this and how I could live within it
1: and where Um, had you thought they stood up until that point like what were they saying yeah I
2: didn't know much about Hillsong Stance I saw You Belong and Welcome Home and so I thought that it was going to be okay So I messaged my leader and I sent her, I I first sent her an article of someone who came out as Christian and like how they interacted with that. And so I was like, hey, like, what do you think of this? Um, And she's like, oh, this is super interesting. I was like, hey, can we like have a conversation? I need to talk to you. And we were talking and she's like, so like, why did you wanna talk to me? What's going on? And I was like, "Um, so I have this friend who is gay, and they want to attend the church, but they don't know what the church believes about homosexuality or being queer. And so they really want to know because they also want to serve at church and be a volunteer, but they don't know where they can volunteer at. And so she kind of just stayed quiet for a bit. And she's like, well... Um, everyone is welcome here. Uh, Everyone belongs. And they're more than welcome to come to church. And I was like, okay, that's great. Uh, I know everyone is welcome through the doors. But what can they do as a volunteer? Like, can they be on the host team? Can they be a part of creative? And she was like, well, that's something that we would have to have a conversation about individually to see where they can volunteer at and to see how comfortable the leader is with the situation. And so I was like, Okay. So I kind of like had more questions than I first started with. And so I was like, honestly, I'm going to be very frank with you. Like, it's me. I'm the friend. I'm the queer one. And I am already a volunteer and I'm already considered a leader. I'm leading a connect group and I'm a service lead for the events team. So I want to know like what I can and cannot do. Like, I want to be very open with you. And so she stayed very quiet and didn't know what to say and was like, okay, well, this is a conversation we're going to continue to have. uh, But all I can tell you right now is that what you are doing is okay.
1: Yeah. In terms of?
2: Uh, In terms of volunteering.
1: Okay. So your work is at a good standard.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to like leave whatever I was doing. Mind you, again, connect group leader and events service lead so I was like okay Um, so those are like the okays for gay people at Hillsong Mm -hmm. apparently at the time don't know how that shifted now but at the time that's what they were doing so that weekend I was like really scared to go to church but I still went I started getting like uh, anxiety attack because I didn't know how they were going to respond and I was like scared I didn't know who she had told And I was barely coming out. so But I still went to church and I did things the way I was going to do them and like did my thing and kept going. This was at the end of 2018 uh, was when I came out to her. Fast forward a few months later, my mom came to visit me for a whole month. She stayed with me in January of 2019. And when she left, I decided it was time to come out to her. So I called her on the phone. Because it wasn't safe for me to do it in person. So I called her on the phone and I let her know that I had come out. She did not respond well. She started Bible thumping me and basically saying like, she started crying and saying, you're going to go to hell. I'm so sorry. This isn't who you are. Like, this isn't like who God created you to be. And so I kept telling her like, nope, this is your belief. And I understand this is a shocker for you. So I'm going to give you some time to process. And maybe we can have a conversation later. But like, I'm not here again. I'm not here to ask you. I'm here to inform you the same like view and the same way that I've always been of like informing people. So she took it hard.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation. We thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: Heard, and I set that boundary there and I said, okay, I have to go. And I hung up and I called my friend Cry, one of my friends from graduate school, and she came over and she was there with me. And I was supposed to meet up with my leader, Erica, the next day uh, because we had been debating over sexuality and like scripture over text. And so she's like, come over tomorrow and we can talk about it. So I text her that night and I'm like, hey, I just came out to my mom and I'm having a really hard night. I don't want to talk about this tomorrow. Can we just have a fun day where we just hang out and like play with uh, board games or something? So she's like, yeah, of course. Like, let me know if you need anything. I'm so sorry that things didn't go well. I get there the next day with my coffee because I barely slept. And I sit down on her couch and she was like folding clothes on the other couch she started quickly off with why did you feel the need to come out to your mom? And I told her, well, I wanted to be open about who I am. I'm tired of hiding. Um, I've been hiding all of these years and I wanna be like openly who I am and who I've always known who I am. It's just a little bit more of my identity. It's not all of my identity. And, but I was like, but it's a very important one at the time. And so she was like, oh, well, what is identity? Identity is very elusive. And I was like, identity is who you are. And there's a lot of things that make your identity. It's very complex. I was like, especially you as a black woman, being black and being a woman is like two big parts of your identity. And maybe Christianity could be a part of that as well. I was like, same as well for me. I'm a Latina, Latinx person. At the time I identified more as a woman. And so I was like, I'm a Latina woman. And I happen to be queer, and that's also another part of my identity. And she's like, Well, I don't believe that. I believe your identity should be in Christ. So I got really mad and I was like, Okay. So you're just excluding every part of you to only say your identity is Christ. Like that's what does that? I mean, what does that okay?
1: mean? <laughs> she planned that. Hey. So she that wasn't an accidental. She didn't help you with your mother then, I guess. No,
2: she started kind of making things worse. So, like I was hoping to have a friend who I could like just hang out with and like help me to like get past through the weekend because I had a rough day. And she just like kept pushing at it and like kept making it making me feel worse. I realized in that moment that she wasn't someone who like supported who I was or that part of my identity and so it was something that I tried to not bring up But it would still come up every once in a while because I was like discovering new things about me and learning new things about me as I allowed myself to be. And that was always coming into question. Like I would post things on social media and it would come into question of like, why are you posting this? You shouldn't be posting that as a leader of Hillsong. And I'd be like, nope, you can't censor me. That's cultish practice. I'm sorry. Sexuality related things or
1: just anything? Yeah. Okay,
2: sexuality. uh, There's some that were political, someone who studied public health, my belief system should never interact with what people what kind of health care people receive. So I am pro choice, because I personally would never have an abortion. But if someone decides to do that, that is their choice. And that's just like common, common practice and as a public health professional. So I would post about that. And I would get in trouble because I posted something that was very progressive and supposedly not Hillsong supported. Um, And for me, it was like, okay, I'm not going to be censored. I'm sorry. Like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I
1: I just, I wonder who makes those rules again. Um, In the old days on their website, they used to have their stances on stem cell research and abortion and euthanasia and all these kind of moral issues. And I don't know that they have that anymore on their website like this is where we stand or
2: i haven't found that and when i would Uh research on the hillsong website because i started looking on the website to see what hillsong believed about homosexuality and about lgbtq people and that's when i found the blogs during that time when i was like having these discussions with my leader erica was when I found the articles because she told me about it. The ones that Brian wrote about um, gay people and like he loves gay people or whatever, which is already a a creepy title in and of
1: itself. So Um, creepy. and um,
2: (laughs) So it started to get more intense. It started affecting my mental health because my family wasn't accepting me. My church was excluding or like not accepting me fully for who I was. I was starting to get less and less opportunities to lead. And even within the events team, like things started to slow down. And I knew they were also trying to support me because my mental health was getting pretty bad. So they were trying to help me. And that's, I think as well, that's somewhat of the excuse they would use. But I wasn't being offered more positions
1: to support. When you say your mental health is getting bad, like what kind of things... Because there's, you know, there's trouble yeah. with people listening. So I was starting to have, um, I, when you have
2: PTSD um, and things are triggered or you have uh, things that are triggering, they can then enhance uh, or bring on PTSD symptoms, which can uh, be from having flashbacks to living your daily life, thinking that you're in, in a situation that's dangerous for you you can not sleep at night, I wasn't eating all the time, Mm. or I was eating too much, Mm. um, getting panic attacks on Sundays. Um, So it was like a lot of these things. And trigger warning, the biggest one, I was starting to have suicide thoughts, uh, suicide ideation. So I was starting to think about it. I was starting to create a plan of like how I would uh, go through with the suicide. So that's when I got scared. And so I texted my leader, Erica, and I was like, this is happening. I need to tell someone and like help kind of thing. Like I was reaching out for help. So, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know why I was having all of these symptoms. Now I know it was because of the environment I was in, but I reached out to her for support. And the first thing she directed me to was praying and doing these devotionals and going to therapy, which I was going to therapy, I had a therapist, but I wasn't comfortable with my therapist enough to tell them all of that information. I had just started therapy. Um, I was still getting to know them. So I was more comfortable telling someone I knew and was comfortable with and who was my friend. And I was asked to do some devotionals. One of them was called We Wage War. No, it was car called I Declare War by Levi Lusco, and he's a pastor here in the U.S. So it's basically around that your mind was a, a war zone and you had to declare war against your mind and like take control of it. When it comes to mental health, it's not a war. It's something that you need professional support. It could be something that there's a chemical imbalance and you need help and that's okay. But that wasn't the message that I was getting from Hillsong. It was your mind is a war zone. You need to control it. This is something that you can win.
1: This is from people who've who've apologized for holding these points of view before that, that depression is demonic. I mean, this is archaic even for them. And you're telling me this is what, two, three years ago? Yeah,
2: that was in 20, 2018. No, early 2019 already. It, it, yeah. This
1: is their response to someone who, and this is their response to someone who can alert them yeah. to a mental health crisis because a lot of people can't articulate what's going mm-hmm. on.
2: Yeah, okay. and I was able to tell them, and yet I was being asked. I had to read the devotional and then it would make me use a acronym SOAP that Hillsong is known for using. So it's like you read the scripture, you write about like something that you got out of it from the passage, and then you analyze it, and then you pray about it, something like that. But I would have to do this whole thing where I read this, I read the devotional and the scripture, I would have to choose something from there that stood out to me and write about it, and how it related to my mental health and how I was going to take control of my mental health. And then I would have to write a prayer about it. And I had to take a picture And text it to my leader so she could ensure that I was doing the devotional every day. And so she would just text me back and say, okay, like, thank you. And it was basically for her to read through ensuring that I was actually doing what they were wanting me to do. Super manipulative, very like uh, spiritually abusive. So,
1: How are you going to be so honest and transparent with somebody that, wow, getting graded on kind of your... Yeah, on my
2: spirituality and like what I'm thinking and how I'm fighting this war. And so I got more scared to tell her about my mental health. So I started keeping things and fighting back these like thoughts that I was having. But if you know about mental health, that just makes it worse. You're not supposed to fight it. You're supposed to like sit in it and like because it's just a thought, it's something that will pass, but you can't avoid it. And there's techniques to do that. And you learn coping skills and different like, and maybe you need medication to help you through that. And like, that's okay. I take medication every day. So that was happening at the time, my suicide ideation was getting worse. And there was one night where I got the bottle of of pills. um, And I put a whole bunch in my hand. And I just started thinking about the fact that like. My family wasn't accepting of me. My friends, um, because Hillsong, those were the only friends that I really had, weren't accepting of me. Graduate school was really, really hard and I was having a hard time. And I just felt like it was easier if I wasn't around because I was having these difficulties. I couldn't be myself as a queer person. I thought that was the best choice
1: I had. Um I'm so, I got- I'm so sorry to hear that and I and I'm so angry listening to you because they know this already they know what it does they knew this 15 years before um oh yeah and the gay conversion therapy and Mm like so you know it makes me really so angry that they're still doing this yeah fronts, the mental health and the and they know that that the Christians that are gay in their church what they go through, they know. It. They do. They know it. They know it. From body. Oh yeah. They know it from, and the plan stage is, is dangerous, as we know in mental mm-hmm. health. That's when you know people are getting more serious.
2: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I had the pills in my hand. I ended up texting my leader, and I said, "This is happening right now. I need help because I don't want to do this." And she came over to my place, and I was like about to take them. And she was able to take them away from my hand, which I'm very like grateful for that. But instead of taking me to the emergency room, which is what she should have done to the hospital, she wanted to pray with me and make me watch a preaching. And so that was like, I, I knew I needed more help, but I didn't know what, yeah. like, I didn't know what help I needed because I wasn't <laughs> fully there. She gets me to start watching this preaching, and I get really mad. And she's like, You're giving into it. And I was like, No, like, this is, I, no, like, I don't need this. Like, God is the last thing I want to think about right now because everything around me is telling me that God doesn't like who I am and that I have to identify, like, not be who he created me to be, but identify as a child of God. And I don't, believe in that i don't identify with that anymore yeah,
1: yeah. Um, identifies
2: if we didn't do that identify as a child of god what do you mean well they didn't want me to identify as queer they wanted me to identify as a child of god instead There as something mutually exclusive like as a label is,
1: like isn't everybody there yeah. a child of god though
2: that's what i thought but apparently that's not what they wanted they wanted your only identity to be as a child of god that's what I was being told every week and every time and opportunity they had. And that's that's a theme that you'll see a lot with ex-gay ministries that they'll say, oh, I don't identify as LGBTQ. I identify as a child of God. It's like brainwashing and like denying everything about who you are and who God created you as. So everything about it uh, was just like weird to me. And so that's happening. I get really mad. She ends up leaving, takes all of the pills that I had there and my uh, knives, because I had also done some self-cutting, self-harming. And I text my friend from grad school. We were uh, best friends as well at the time. And I tell her the situation. That weekend, my friend came over. We were hanging out and I started crying randomly again because I wasn't, all of my friends had gone to a party from Hillsong and I wasn't invited, but yeah, I was being told about it. And so that was really hurtful to me because I was starting to notice that I was being excluded now from things. So it was like Natalie, the the girl I had been confused with, she was organizing the party and then Erica was going um, and a few of other of my
1: friends were going. That's just plain nasty. Okay.
2: Yeah. And I wasn't, told about the party and Erica accidentally told me about it. It's like, oh, well, you weren't invited because they don't really know you well. And so I was like, no, something else here. So I, I was really sad and I started crying and my friend came over and was like, hey, I think you need more support. And I was like, really confused about it. And she's like, she's like, my aunt is a pastor and she is lesbian and she's, She's black. I I had met her a few times and she was really nice, so I was like, okay, like I'll talk to her on the phone. And so she gets on the phone and she was like, hey, uh, I've heard you've been having a really hard time. And I was like, yeah, I am. I don't know what's going on. I really like have been contemplating suicide. And so she was like, okay, that's that's that must be very difficult. And I'm so sorry you haven't gotten the support you need this has happened to me before. And I think when that happened to me, I had to get a psychiatric evaluation at the emergency room in the hospital. And she's like, I think that's the best step for you right now because you need professional support. And that's something that we can't give you, but there are people who are trained and go to school to help you. So is that something you would want? And I started crying and I told her, yeah, I think that's what I need. That was never an option that had been given to me. And when she gave it to me as a pastor, I felt comfortable saying yes, especially the way she told me very calm and like um, succinct and like very to the point and not giving overwhelming me with options. You're going to tell Morgan or your friend to get you an Uber and you're going to go to the ER and let them know when you walk in, you need a psychiatric evaluation. She, She told me step by step everything I needed to do.
1: I'm talking to you from Australia, where we have. It's not a perfect system, but we have a lot of a lot more healthcare provision than we understand the people in the United States to. So um, yeah. we're also not hit with hundreds of thousands of dollars in bills. How does that influence somebody's choice to go to the ER? A lot, a lot of people decide not to
2: go to the, to the doctors or to the emergency room. Just thinking of the ER, that's like a $5,000 bill easily. It's expensive to go to the emergency room.
1: That was a $5,000 decision
2: you made? Uh, I luckily at the time had insurance, so I wasn't charged that. And in the U.S., now speaking as a public health professional, if you go to the emergency room in the U.S. and you're admitted into the hospital then the emergency room fee is then waived the majority of insurances do that not all of them do so don't take my word for it Um, but it's usually a a policy that's within the majority of insurances so yeah I was fortunate and privileged enough to have insurance at the time as a student but for other people like there's people who don't have that and they can't access and so the best option they have is continuing to
1: pray yeah, that I mean, that just changes everything. You walk into emergency and what happens? To start the process of, of
2: checking if I had harmed myself in any way, which I had. And uh, they start asking me questions if I had a plan, just basic questions just to get you signed in and, and to know kind of what the psychiatrist will will initially have to deal with whenever they see you. So I let them know that I had come out and that my mom wasn't supportive, that my church wasn't supportive. Um, and I started telling them about like the, the devotionals and like the prayer and all the stuff I had to do. And so they were amazing, like super calm oh and collected, very, very different from what I had experienced with my church leader, uh, with Erica. And so I waited a few hours and then they came over and let me know that they were going to admit me into a psychiatric hospital for a few days to get the support that I needed. I was super scared because I had never been admitted to a psychiatric hospital. And you see often in the movies where it's like scary, crazy people in there. Not the case. It's people who need support and that's completely okay. And that's part of the stigma that we have as as a society on mental health. Uh, It was like a 40-minute drive from the hospital where I was at. So an ambulance comes over, which is another bill. Those are super expensive, but luckily my insurance covered some of it. And I was there for a few days. And it was scary because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know like when I was going to leave or what the situation was going to be in there. But I was willing and ready to like receive any support I could. I met a lot of young people who were also queer who were also having a difficult time at home, who had experienced trauma, and they were there because of that. Only Erica and Natalie, Erica, my leader, and Natalie, my friend at the time, went to go visit me. Erica went twice, Natalie went once, and I was there for about four or five days. And my friend from graduate school went almost every day, and her aunt went to go visit me like almost every day as well they were there all the time and I respected her because she was a pastor and she was lesbian and I was like how do you exist like in this world where I'm being told that that's not a possibility
1: yeah. That so might started... have been the, the biggest kind of part of your treatment in some way hey
2: yeah for sure because I started reaching out to her after that so as soon as I was discharged and i was allowed to leave i went and stayed with erica she didn't want me to stay at home alone at my apartment so i went to her place and that sunday we went to church and i was being asked to deliver in the same way that i had delivered every time before
1: the so volunteering um, immediately
2: volunteering from no. 7 a.m until like 4 or 5 p.m when everything was
1: done yeah And I was shocking. You've just been in an actual hospital. It's not a kind of a...
2: Yeah, there was a realization of I'm not being valued as a person. I'm being valued for what I can give to them. And so that's when I started questioning if this was a place for me to be at, if this was actually home, the way they, they mentioned it. From there, that's when like, Things started going downhill from my experience with Hillsong. That was in July of 2019. I started questioning more. My mental health was up and down. I started on medication. The medication started to help. And so I started feeling stronger to ask more questions. Yeah, by the end of September, I left the events team because I was no longer considered the service lead. They slowly started removing that. Mm which at the time I kind of was like, okay, whatever. Like I am tired of doing this. I was starting to not be uh, invited to a lot of like hangouts after church. So I left the events team and I started helping one of the pastors. They led all the connect groups and they administered all the connect groups. And so I was like, great, I love administration. Like I'll help you out. And so when I go over to support him, and we were uh, working together and administering. So he comes over and says, hey, I'd like to get some coffee with you. And so I was like, oh, okay. Um, we ended up meeting up and he was like, okay, so who is, who is Noemi? Can you tell me about you? And so I was like, okay. So I started like sharing like who my parents were, where I came from, the church. And I didn't say anything about being queer. I only focused on my mental health. And he was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. He's like, I I can see someone who's very resilient um, and who uh, really values their mental health. And I'm like, proud of you. So we kind of ended that meeting there. The end of that first meeting, he said, I want to mentor you. And I was like, I'm not used to being told uh, someone wants to mentor me. It's usually the other way around where the person is asking the mentor to mentor them. someone out, Yeah. Yeah. So when he told me that, I was like, "Um, okay, that's fine. Um, Like, sure, we'll meet up. Like, what does that mean? So we were basically going to meet up every week to just talk. And the second week we met up, the first thing he asked me was, what is holding you back from giving it your all at Hillsong? And I was like, okay, well, um, one, I'm not done with school. I'm like still I'm going to graduate school, I'm applying for PhD programs. And so he's like, okay, is there anything else? And I kind of just stayed quiet. And I was like, there is. And he's like, it's that you're queer, isn't it? And I was like, how do you know? I've never told you. I only told Erica. And so he didn't answer the question and kind of just went with, well, just so you know, like, we still love you and you're still welcome. And I was like, well, what does that mean then for my volunteering with you? And I was like, can you answer some of my questions as the pastor? Like Erica, at the time, Erica was only a leader. Now she's a team's pastor. What is Hillsong's stance on homosexuality or on LGBTQ people? And he was like, oh, that's not something I can answer. And I was like, okay, as a pastor, you can answer a simple question. And so he's like, no, that's something Carl Lenz would have to have a conversation with you. That was like, nope, that's not something I want to do. Carl is a very manipulative person. The way he speaks, he uses his charisma to manipulate you to think the way he wants you to think. So I was like, no, that's a big no for me. And he kind of just stayed quiet. And he was like, well, I he's like, I have friends who are gay. um, So like, I love gay people and everything. And I was like, okay, I have some simple questions. I was like, if I were to have ever have a same sex partner, would you as a pastor? Well, if I came to you and said, Steve, will you marry us? Would you do would you perform the marriage? And he just stayed quiet. And he's like, well, Hillsong Church doesn't really do that. And I was like, I'm not asking you as a, as a Hillsong pastor. I'm asking you as a pastor and as a friend that you say you are. If I came to you and said, Steve, will you marry my same-sex partner and I? Would you do it? And he's like, no. Well, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I was like, oh, okay, one. So no, Hillsong Church does not believe in same-sex marriage. Great like, let's say there was a job posting at Hillsong and I were to apply to it and all of the criteria, I met them all. And I was a perfect candidate. Would Hillsong hire me as an openly queer person? And he stayed really quiet. And he's like, well, um, the people that are hired are usually, um, a, they have to align with everything the pastor believes. And I was like, great as an openly queer person, would I be hired for that position? And he stayed quiet. And I was like, I'm going to take your silence as a no.
1: That's quite a simple employment question.
2: Yeah. And as soon as he said, no, I was like, okay. He said no. Yeah. or He didn't say no, anything, right. but when I said, I'm going to take okay. your silence as a no, he didn't respond to anything. So I was like, great. You just affirm my response. And I also asked him, would you affirm me as a as a person who was like maybe married to someone of the same sex? Would you say that like who I am and and my behavior, quote unquote, is sinful? And he also didn't say anything. Um, So I was like, "Okay, great. Like, those are my biggest things. Like, I've just realized that Hillsong Church isn't affirming and it's not a safe space for me to be in. So I'm going to start looking for another church. But in the meantime, I'm going to stay until the end of the year to support you because I gave you my word that I was going to help out. And once I am done, I will part ways. And he kind of just stayed quiet and was like, "Okay, well, like, good luck finding a church you agree 100 percent on. Like, we'll we'll still love you. You're going to be welcome here all the time. This is your home. And I was like, this is not.
1: Thanks so much. No, Emmy. now that was intense and there is more to this story how noemi left and in the short and final part three of welcome home we'll have a little chat about the whole carl lentz leaving situation and all the kind of stuff that happened around there and as well as finding out how noemi did leave and where she's up to now that one will get released by next weekend. So you've got a little something extra for the holidays. And so until then, look after yourselves, keep leaving Hillsong, and we'll talk soon.